What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Muppets and Clowns. How do you explain Monday Night Football? Not the involvement of Kermit the Frog and the gang, but the joke of a performance from the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll break down that colossal failure and look ahead to the Week 16 board. Then at the final Tuesdays with Ted in 2020, as Ted Ballantyne joins me to discuss the upcoming NBA season. And the bad news is, we like a lot of the same bets. MVP, rookie, coach, and most improved player bets? Yep, it's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. You had to know things were going to get weird when Miss Piggy showed up. No, this isn't a breakdown of the last bachelor party I went to. It was Monday night football. Turns out the uneventful primetime game was Sunday night. Who knew? So the Steelers, are. <laughs> we go into this game, and it's, yeah, like, how are the Bengals going to score? Like, if I'm concerned about the Steelers not covering a really large spread here, it's because I'm not sure how much they score. But with Ryan Finley, you go, I don't really think that this is going to be that much of a problem for the Steelers. Must win game, all of that kind of thing. And so the good news is, well, first of all, the good news is for those spiteful out there, like I am, that the Steelers lost outright. Because it was going to be incredibly annoying if they came back to win anyway, right? And then you get the Mike Tomlin, like, oh, like, you know, heart of a champion or like whatever BS that you're going to possibly get there. But the good news is, is we got closing line value, right? And again, this is this trend or this sort of hot topic, if you will, with the betting markets out there. Closing line value, closing line value. If you beat the market, you are on your way to success. And again, you know, if we're all just going to kind of grade things by that, that's fine. But you have nights like last night where we go and we get minus 12 and a half, minus 13 last week, made a point of emphasis to do so. And that's great. But when they lose by 10, and it's not even close to a 14-point game. It doesn't really feel like we did anything successful. But, you know, again, we grade our bets on three different criteria, one of which is did we beat the closing line? And in this case, we did by quite a bit. This line closed minus 14 and a half, so 13 over across a relatively key number of 14 and a half. Can't really complain about that. Now, part of me tends to wonder, is this whole closing line value thing kind of a bunch of bullshit? Because how often do you see, well, I got closing line value and I lost. It's like, that's great. Maybe the sports books, maybe the line makers, especially in a league like the NFL, maybe they're just right. And maybe the true number should have been 13 or something lower than that, right? And so then we're still, while we're beating the closing line value, we're still getting the worse of the number because of what the public perception is of the Cincinnati Bengals. Now I say public perception, as if that's some sort of thing that doesn't exist or that isn't appropriate here, right? Because it's not like the Bengals have been sneakily playing well. Like, you could make the the case for the Jets against the Rams that with the exception of the Seahawks game literally the week before, you know, and we always talk about don't get caught up in what you saw last week. Let's try to evaluate it from, you know, a little bit larger of a sample size. And problem is with the NFL like there's no good sample size like do you feel like 13 or 14 games for the Steelers this season is a good enough sample size like we've had 14 games here they've gone 11 and 3 and of course literally tons of injuries have you know knocked this team down you know from its knees here But you're just never going to get the full sample size, which is why you can't rely on just last week. But that sort of threw us off the scent for the Jets being at least competitive against the Rams. No way to know that they were going to win that game outright. But from Cincinnati's standpoint, like I went through game or not just game by game, but play by play of the Ryan Finley experience this season. And I got to tell you, a ton of sacks and a ton of check down throws. Now, I'm not. You know, I'm not saying that because it's like, oh, can you believe he was so good last night? Because frankly, he wasn't that good. He had 89 total passing yards here, right? Like last night's game was all about 
the Steelers being terrible, right? Where you can watch the Jets and the Rams and be like, wow, the Jets actually played pretty well, right? Like their offense moved the ball a decent amount. The defense held in there, right? They even got a special teams player too in that game. Like you look at that and go, wow, I didn't really expect the Jets to play that well. In this case, like Cincinnati, at least from an offensive standpoint, like didn't really do anything. And, you know, they were talking about, oh, you know, first five drives, first time that the Steelers had gone three and out in their first five drives. And I'm like, they didn't go three and out on all five of those drives. They turned the ball over on two of them and then a third later on. If they had just gone three and out and punted it to Cincinnati, that game's not 10 nothing halfway through the second quarter. It's still 0-0 because Cincinnati wasn't moving the ball. But if you're going to give Cincinnati the ball on your side of the field over and over and over again, that's the answer to how is this team going to score? And so when I have in my notes, how does Cincinnati score? The answer is that, right? Like give them a short field and eventually they had a decent longer drive. But like that's going to happen when you give a team 20 possessions. They're even the worst team in the league is eventually going to have a decent drive and run a decent play like they did with Finley on the read option keeper, right? And so he works his legs, by the way, nothing really said that he, you know, he was a running quarterback at any point in time, whether it was a time at Boise State or NC State or in the two games that he played last year. He had one carry this season that was a scramble for 19 yards. And like, I guess maybe I'm supposed to extrapolate that one play that I looked in the play log as like, oh, look out, this guy could beat you with his legs. Like, this isn't even like a Danucci situation where at least, you know, there's some history of running athleticism with this guy. And so Cincinnati ends up getting all of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to offense because Pittsburgh is literally giving them the ball. But Cincinnati's taking it away from them too. And that's the difference that in these games, and, you know, maybe we should have seen this coming, but, you know, maybe it's a far, you know, maybe it would have been far-fetched and you can sort of decide. If I had come on here yesterday or last week and said, listen, this is Cincinnati's Super Bowl, right? This is a Monday night football game at home against the arch rival. And yes, the offense is terrible and the defense is terrible too, but like this is going to be the effort game. And we always talk about whether it's basketball, whether it's hockey, whether it's, you know, obviously, of course, football, right? Defense is all about effort. And if you're just going through sort of a rainy Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys, you know, maybe you don't have that passion that clearly Cincinnati had very early on yesterday. And so if you go, okay, they're going to play above board with their defense, and you combine that with a Steelers offense that, you know, listen, you've been listening. We've been slagging the Steelers offense all season long here. And so it, I guess it shouldn't have been all that surprising that Cincinnati was going to do well defensively against that Pittsburgh Steelers offense. But again, that was the issue. We were like, well, I still don't really know if they're going to crack 20 to 24 points. And, you know, they went at 17 points and they were literally all in the second half. And so any amount of points in the first half would have had us right about our number at 24 for the Steelers. Again, all comes down to Cincinnati's offense. Again, not all that pretty, right? 89 yards. The fact that they were able to run the ball with that smattering of running backs and what we thought to be a not-so-mobile quarterback, again, is on the Steelers' defense of being incredibly disappointing. And they show up, the you know, they show this, the stat or the sort of the list of the linebackers being out for the Steelers. And you do sort of go, yeah, okay, I kind of get that. And then another guy goes down, he's, you know, their linebacker, number 27. And you're like, 27 is a linebacker. And they're like, yeah, he's had to, he's a safety, but he's had to play linebacker. And you go, yeah, you know, that does really matter, right? Like, it really matters when your entire linebacking crew gets decimated to the point where a safety, and frankly, a backup safety, has to come in and play linebacker. Like, that should be some sort of indication that the defense is going to struggle a little bit. But the fact that they couldn't get much in the way of pressure, but they didn't have the opportunity to pressure Cincinnati because they couldn't get that early lead. And you watch these Steelers games in these first quarters, and whether they turn the ball over or not, they're still not getting any yards. And even if they had punted the ball five times, there still would have been no game pressure on Ryan Finley to have to make a play. And we were counting on him needing to make a play and the Steelers being the ones to win the turnover margin. Because if I had said to you on Monday, guess what? Turnover margin is going to be three, nothing. You'd be like, oh my God, Steelers are going to, you know, it's going to be a fumble. There's going to be a couple interceptions. Ryan Finley, it's going to be bad. 
they're going to blow them out. At no point would you have been like, yeah, okay, yep, totally. Bengals are going to turn over the Steelers here a bunch, and the Steelers aren't going to be able to turn over the, the Bengals in any shape or form. Like, that would have been incredibly surprising to you, right? And so these are the things that we would love to know beforehand, but they're just unpredictable. And as much as you go into each game thinking you know this or you know that, these two games, right, the Bengals and the Jets, have to serve notice to you that there are no guarantees in the NFL. And as much as Baltimore absolutely destroys Jacksonville and Tennessee walks all over Detroit, that doesn't mean that Jacksonville's not going to be better this coming week. And it doesn't mean that Detroit's not going to be better this coming week. There's a couple of other reasons why either team might not be that good this week, but it just goes like, you know, it's cliche, but the any, any given Sunday element is certainly in the mix there. So um, what do you do, right? Like, it's not like anybody was saying, like, no one was making any kind of a case for the Bengals. But again, that's sports betting. And when no one's making a case for said team, it probably means that it's a really good idea to bet on that team because that's where you're getting the value. And listen, we got caught up in the fact that Pittsburgh minus 13, such a good bet, such great closing line value, all of that stuff, that when it ends up at 14 and a half and you sit in there, you go, wow, you know what? 14 and a half is actually a pretty good number if I was betting the Bengals. Like it's just kind of too late because we're almost too on the ball in getting that good number with Pittsburgh and getting out ahead of that marketplace. So whatever is what it is. So let's talk about week 16. Let's put that in our rear view. Unfortunate week for the contest entry as we go one, three and one was hoping to survive with a two, two and one. Um, we'll see probably knocks us a little bit down, but again, there's still plenty of time left here to get back into the cash position as frankly, you know, and, and if, and if there's anything you sort of need to sort of takeaway from that is that like literally five of the top six entrants in the circa million contest the people who are doing the best this season who have the best read on the league all five out of the six of them had pittsburgh in that game and a lot of you know they went from between one and four to one three and one to two two and one like there was no good days happening for again the people who are doing the best this season anyway on to week 16 here tuesdays with ted coming up here shortly right after this tons of nba stuff uh really looking fun looking forward to having that conversation with him it's gonna be fun um friday we have four straight days of nfl football um you know divorce rates are gonna go through the roof here after this weekend uh it's gonna be great uh minnesota and new or the new orleans saints here 4 30 eastern so right in the middle of dinner like they're not even pushing it back to eight where you know you could make the case okay like we've done all our dinner done all that stuff okay how about we watch some football it's like no no 4 30 right smack in the middle of it minnesota and the saints saints minus seven is the line here i think this is a little too high right we've seen what we've needed to see from you know the saints offense like it's just you know no michael thomas it's just never going to be all that pretty problem is you'd have to be betting on the minnesota vikings here and that's not something that people are all that thrilled to do even though they were kind of excited to do it last week and i didn't really understand that problem is this is and has been over the last two years right a really good matchup for minnesota now they ha they are not the same team at least defensively from a personnel standpoint that they have been in the playoffs where they've knocked off the saints but Seven points here I think is too many, and I think you have to take Minnesota. It's not that great of uh, a feeling here, but the other option is teasing the Saints. I shouldn't say the other option. The other option is obviously taking the Saints minus seven. But, like, in theory, Saints minus one seems to be a pretty decent bet from a teaser leg standpoint. I don't necessarily disagree with that. The money line right now is at minus 320, so if you're teasing it down to minus one, you're getting so and being able to do that at minus 270, 50 cents off of the money line price, if you will. So that might be the way to go with your, if you're betting the Saints. I think that is actually the way to go if you're betting the Saints. So a couple of different options here. This is sort of feeling very much like Buffalo Denver last week, where you go, okay, if you can get the seven, you go and you grab that. If not, I don't think that you can lay the seven points here with the Saints and that offense, especially coming off of that game short week, 
against the Chiefs, right? This is another sort of, it's not necessarily buy low, sell high, because it's not like you're all that high on the Saints. Problem is they were, right? Like they were in that game with Kansas City. That was an intense game to the point where Cameron Jordan's losing his head and punching people. They now have to get up, you know, five days later for a game that they might not be all that interested in. That being said, you know, I say they might not be all that interested in because most of the stuff that they want to do here is either out of reach or they've already almost clinched it. And so like the importance of this game isn't particularly high. Now, you know, how is Minnesota mentally going to be affected off of the Chicago game, all of that kind of stuff. But we, we you know, it's funny that these teams, a lot of these teams keep playing Min uh, New Orleans and Tampa Bay within, you know, pretty close proximity, right? Like Atlanta playing Tampa Bay last week having just played at uh, New Orleans a couple of different times. And now you've got this team and Minnesota's like, yeah, we just played Tampa Bay a couple of weeks ago, like on the road. It was plus six and a half. Again, is there a half point difference from the Saints to the Bucks? Like that just seems to be where the market is right now. That's kind of an interesting subplot to all of this. Uh, Saturday's games, not just a doubleheader this week. It's a triple header because again, <laughs> if you wanted to have any time with your family, uh, that's not allowed. Uh, Tampa Bay and Detroit here. And if there was sort of Saturday's version of the two easy tees, this might be it, right? Teasing Tampa minus eight and a half with the Saints the night before. A nice kind of obvious tease here, getting Tampa Bay down to minus two and a half. I don't know that I'm looking to bet Tampa Bay at minus eight and a half. Obviously, Detroit and the way they've been playing. Obviously, the defense is a mess, right? And if the if Bucks' offense was ever going to look good, it's going to be against uh, Detroit. In Detroit here, you know, nice track, you know, perfect offensive conditions, all of that sort of thing. The total here at 54, based on the fact that Tampa's going to score an absolute ton in this game, and it's just a matter of can Detroit keep up at 8.5. We're right in that zone, right, where it's like Tampa Bay is now giving more points than Green Bay did a couple of weeks ago. So how do you feel about that from a value standpoint? So again, I don't think you can bet Tampa Bay in this one, but uh, I think the tease piece with New Orleans might be a decent option, though I would tread lightly given Minnesota's general success against the Saints over the last couple of years. San Francisco and the Arizona Cardinals here. This is an interesting line that's ticked from three and a half, where it was sort of commonly looked at as that's a little low right? The San Francisco team. We're not all that thrilled with how they've been playing. I, you know, talked about it yesterday. Nick Mullins absolutely killing us. So this thing ticks, ticks up to four and a half. And now it's gone back down and settled at four. And I think that's really a more reasonable line here. And we'll have to get into this a little bit deeper. The problem is this week, um, you know, we're going to have to handle a lot of these games sort of on Twitter because of the holidays. And I think I might be leaning to San Francisco in this game for a couple of different matchup reasons. One, obviously the run game going up against Arizona, but I'm going to need to know who's in the lineup for San Francisco. You know we've been in general fading the Cardinals. Um, they get away with one in turning the ball over a ton against Philadelphia this past weekend. Is that just going to be cleaned up all of a sudden? I don't necessarily know uh, if that's going to be the case. Miami and the Las Vegas Raiders here. This one's pretty simple for me. I just, why would I lay two and a half points, potentially three here, with Miami on the road against Vegas. It just, this line doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why this isn't at the very least pick them. How the Raiders can be three and a half point favorites to the Chargers. And now all of a sudden, just because Derek Carr is out, like I thought, I think we all agree that Marcus Mariota was more than serviceable in that game. And so we're going to sit here, we're going to wait, and we're going to grab Vegas plus the three. Very interesting tease option here, right? You could even make the case that San Francisco plus 10 is a decent teaser leg in that one. I think Vegas plus eight and a half here is a decent buy right now and then wait to grab it at three as well. So a couple of different ways to bet the Raiders in that game. Sunday stuff. Chiefs minus ten and a half at home to the Atlanta Falcons. You know, this is scary because in on the surface you go, okay, Matt Ryan, backdoor potential. You know, blah, blah, blah. They announced this week that Todd Gurley is officially not the starting running back. And the judge, Ito Smith, will be getting the starting duties. But does that mean the Falcons are going to be able to run the football against Kansas City in the way that we look for teams to be able to, I don't want to say defend, but sort of, you know, play defense on offense here against the Chiefs? 
I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. I think this is a really bad matchup for the Falcons, and I think this might be the week that the Chiefs roll. But the problem is Chiefs rolling, you know, every week is the week that the Chiefs roll. Every week they've got two touchdown lead. Every week they're up 17 points at some point in time. And then it always just gravitates itself back to the point spread. So we're looking at a spread here at 10.5, and, and it's like, why would you trust that? Why, Even with the Falcons being involved, why would you trust that? for the Chiefs at that key number. Chicago and Jacksonville here, seven and a half. The Chicago Bears minus seven and a half. And this goes to what we talked about yesterday. You have to grab the new version of the Bears or, or whatever edge that you have, whatever thing that you're seeing that other people aren't. You have to do that before you get the confirmation to do that because all it takes is in the NFL, two weeks for people to figure it out. And now all of a sudden the Bears are seven and a half point favorites to the Jags, right? The word is out that the Bears offense at the very least is pretty good. And of course, we all know that the Jags defense isn't any good at all. That being said, like this is just too high for a Bears team that again, I've liked the last couple of weeks. This just feels like a really rough spot here. Uh, to try to cover a big number because that's just not what we've asked from the Bears here for a very long time, basically at all this season, right? I think they've been favored, what, twice this year against Detroit, lost, and earlier on in the season, I they believe they were favored by three at some point early on because we talked about it going into that Detroit game that they had only been favored basically once all season um, in I think it was the second game of the season. Uh, Cincinnati and Houston Texans. So like, what are we going to get from either of these teams? Like this is the classic week 16, week 17 game where we're like, we're probably just betting this just to bet it, if you will. Because like, I don't want the Texans minus nine. I don't really want that. Like, I don't think this is a blowout situation here for the Texans having again come up just short against the Colts, right? We saw what happened last time they came up just short against the Colts. They went to Chicago and got absolutely smoked. So why would I want to be laying nine points here with the Texans? But with the Bengals, again, we saw the offense, not pretty, short week after their Super Bowl. Why are, you know, why do they care about a game uh, against Houston? Like this, doesn't this feel like a game that they're going to go right back to being the Bengals because, again, it's not like we saw them turn a corner offensively. They were given every opportunity to do so from the Steelers. Browns and the Jets, same sort of deal. Do I want the Browns minus 9.5 on the road? No, not really because, you know, listen, they covered that number. Not that they needed to cover 9.5 this past week, but, you know, got a quote-unquote, not a blowout win, but a comfortable cover win against the Giants. And they go back to the same stadium, and it's the Jets, and you've got the Jets coming off of their first win of the season. In this case, I think the Jets are just playing a little bit better than like the Bengals, and so that would be the case for the Jets. But again, have they just accomplished what they needed to accomplish, and that's it? Again, these games mirroring each other here right now with some undesirable big-time favorites and some dogs that are coming off a, some success and how they can handle that success who knows? Indy and Pittsburgh. Brutal. Just brutal. Part of the element is, and, and, and I make this case for the NFL right from the start of the season, if you can catch a wave and ride that wave, you can sort of get one, you know, for one win, you can kind of roll that into two or three wins because you can start, you know, sort of bouncing back and forth from these teams. And so what, we, what I mean by that is, is like Pittsburgh minus 13, you know, they get the big blowout. And now we're looking at an inflated number here because Pittsburgh's back and, you know, da, da, da. And they were minus two and a half going into that game uh, in the look ahead line against the Colts. And so it's like, okay, we could get three here because I want to bet the Colts. I want the Steelers to show out because we would win that bet. But we would, it would also set up value for us the next week with the Colts at plus three. And so essentially, you know, if we win that one, we're also kind of going to win that second one. Or at least we're setting up to win that second one problem is they lose and now the Colts are minus one and a half point favorites on the road against Pittsburgh and the value is taken right out of that now I may still bet the Colts call it spite call it just whatever we've seen from the last what month if not basically the entire season from the Steelers here because I'm certainly not betting the Steelers because like at what point like what is the case at this point to bet the Steelers 
But again, like we, we lose not just that bet, but we lose the opportunity to get all kinds of good value here on the Colts. But now the secret's out, right? Everybody knows the Steelers stink and the, the Colts at minus one and a half at on the road are probably going to get a fair amount of money to even push that number a little bit higher. Giants and the Ravens. Ravens minus 11. This is that, you know, again, the continuation. Once the Ravens beat the Browns, it's set up nicely for the Ravens the rest of the season. Because we're looking at two, you know, two to three games here where they're double-digit favorites, like quote-unquote easy wins. I mean, who knows with the Bengals uh, next week. But the Giants here, obviously, not all that pretty. This, though, is a team that I think can stop the run. Where you looked at that game against the Jags last week and the week before that informed us, right? Like that the Jags don't want anything to do with stopping a heavy run attack. Whereas like the Giants might still be into that, right? They might still be up for that task. And then once that sort of gets handled, and I don't mean sort of in a dominant way, I mean, they just are able to sort of just deal with it. They might have a chance to keep this game close. And it's not the Bengals that are going to pull the upset this week because they did that already. If they were good and they were able to win two straight games, like they would have done that by now. It's the same thing with the Jets, right? Like I don't think the Jets win this week because again, like having a bad team play well for one week is one thing, but having them play well for two consecutive weeks, then they kind of cease being bad, right? At that point. But and I don't think we're ready to give up on the Jets' badness or the Bengals' badness. For the Giants here, they might, you know, they're not good, right? But they might not be bad. And in this case, I think this one could be the one where like the shocking upset kind of rears its head here. I think this is going to be a popular play uh, for the Ravens in Survivor. Um, by and large, just really, I think, a more interesting game than an 11-point spread normally would be. Carolina and the Washington football team here, you know, Teddy Bridgewater underdog alert. Now, it isn't the same, like, big price number here. And I don't know who's going to be the quarterback. Really interesting that it kind of doesn't seem to matter, right? We don't know whether it's Alex Smith or Dwayne Haskins, but the market has decided that that doesn't matter. I still think that does, so I'm not looking to make a bet until I find out who that quarterback is. Because if it's Alex Smith at minus 2.5 or it's Dwayne Haskins at minus 2.5, that matters to me. So we'll see where that goes uh, throughout the rest of this week. Denver Broncos and the LA Chargers, right? And this is this is an awesome one too. Chargers, minus three, juiced to the favorite here. So I'm looking at a minus three, minus 120 right now. And you go, yeah, of course. Like the Broncos just got smoked by Josh Allen and the Bills and the Chargers for like all of the dramatics of that Thursday night game. Everybody loving Justin Herbert. And, you know, I'm literally number one in the Justin Herbert fan club here this season. Problem is, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for the Chargers. Like, it just doesn't matter because Anthony Lynn and Shane Steichen are going to stifle that offense. And so you can be like, yeah, I want Justin Herbert against the Broncos because you're picturing the success that Brian Dable and Josh Allen had against the Bills. But that's not what this is because this coaching staff is too stupid. They're just stupid. And so we just have to acknowledge that, like, we can't give points with the Chargers. We can take them. We can take all the points that we can get with the Chargers, right? On the road, at home, against good teams, against bad teams, whatever you got, right? We'll take those points, but we can't give them away. And so if people are going to push this thing to minus three and a half, it has to be the Broncos. The bet has to be the Broncos at plus three and a half because of everything that we just talked about with regards to the coaching and all of that. And so, yeah, the, are the Broncos good? no. But the Chargers, unfortunately, aren't either. And it isn't because of talent. It is strictly because of coaching. And this is one where the Chargers may win this game because their dumb coaching is slightly... It's not going to be better uh, than Vic Fangio and the Broncos, but at least it's sort of competitively stupid. And they may pull this one out. But I don't know how you trust them to win by any kind of a number because, listen, even if this is a 10-point game, right, we know the Chargers' defense is going to get tired late and the Broncos could potentially score to get this within three. But I'm not sure that that's even going to matter because this has all the makings of a Broncos win at LA and everybody just going same old Chargers after they win two in a row. And by the way, it has all the makings of all of that happening. And then the Chargers beating the Chiefs in week 17. 
by the way. So be prepared for that. Uh, Rams and the Seahawks here. And I, I don't know if this was ever Seahawks minus three. Sort of hearing people talk about that it was. But, I mean, it could just never it was never going to stay at minus three because we know we go back to our NFC West sort of cycle of doom here. And that, you know, it should have mentioned it with regards to San Francisco and Arizona because Arizona does have the NFC West cycle of doom um, on their side where they quote unquote own the 49ers relative to expectations. Problem is with that game, expectations are already so low on the 49ers that it's kind of hard to uh, apply to the situation for this one. I don't think so, right? Like if, you know, the Rams were three and a half point favorites here, then like maybe that would be a lot more difficult to sort of extrapolate here. But I think the Rams very live to win this game. And you watch this number go down you know, two, even down to one, sort of a one and a half settle type situation. If it's one and a half or it's two, obviously, you know what to do, right? We tease it up over the seven. But I like the Rams to win this game outright because it's just always Rams over Seahawks. A little bit surprising that the Rams aren't getting dinged for losing to the Jets more than they are, but you did hear them talk about how this game or the game against the Jets wasn't all that important to them, and boy, did it show. And that gives, you know, another example in the NFL. If it's not that important to you, you're probably going to lose because, like, that's how competitive this league is. That's why we like it. Uh, Eagles and the Cowboys here. Eagles minus one and a half on the road here. My initial instinct is Eagles, right? But I think that's going to be a popular instinct. And I think we have to look a little bit deeper into this game, potentially. The idea that the Eagles were plus three in turnovers against the Cardinals and didn't win the game is a bit of a red flag for me. I don't know, you know, are they going to be plus three in turnovers against the Cowboys? Maybe. But again, if that means that they that there's no guarantee that they're going to win the game, why would I get all that excited about it, right? And again, the Cowboys, more impressive than I thought they were going to be, especially defensively against San Francisco last week. So I'll we'll sort of have to see where this line ends up going, right? If this gets pushed from minus one and a half up closer to three, even to two and a half, where the Cowboys become an incredibly valuable teaser at plus eight and a half, like this might be the mother of all, you know, plus two and a half up to eight and a half teaser weeks that we've ever seen. Uh, Tennessee and Green Bay in the Sunday nighter. This one should be just an offensive festival here. What are we going to see from the marketplace? Are we pushing this all the way down to three where we can bet the Green Bay Packers at actually a reasonable price here? Because that would be kind of interesting to actually be able to do, wouldn't it? Like at three and a half, like, yeah, I can make the case for Tennessee. Obviously the Green Bay run defense, we've talked about that at length and that's not something you want anything to do with when it comes to Derrick Henry. But you have to start doing the comparison thing. And this reminds me of the Houston New England game from a few weeks ago where it was like, which would you rather have? The you know, run game going up against a bad run defense or the pass game going up against a bad pass defense. And that's why we liked Houston that week. And that's kind of what the deal is here. It's like, okay, that's great that Derrick Henry's going to run for a ton of yards here. But like the Tennessee pass defense isn't any good. And we got Aaron Rodgers on our side. I think I would kind of lean to that. So we'll see sort of how the market treats that game going forward and whether there's any value to that in a meaningful way. And then finally, Monday Night Football, Buffalo and New England. Number is seven. I've heard people make the case for New England. I just, I've watched it. I've seen it. I don't get it. Like you can't at this point. Like the, te the, the team is toast. They're toast. Uh, you know, no Stefan Gilmore to even try to match up with Stefan Diggs. Like it's just their toast and maybe this is the exact same thing as this past week where we're all sitting around going like i can't believe the patriots won because it's the nfl and again i'm loath to lay points here even though again and sure enough right monday night i, I laid the points and that's what happened right and so uh maybe this ends up being that exact same situation here but i just i can't bet the patriots at this point like that team has checked out that's what it looked like to me in the second half um you know we're loath to use the term quit Right. But like there just wasn't any effort uh, to stop the run against a Dolphins team that, again, all of the numbers went ex against the game play there. Right. Like Dolphins unable to run the football, ran for 250 yards, unable to stop the run. Patriots didn't even really try in a meaningful way to run the football. And so if you're just going to kind of phone it in like that, I can't be backing you in any way, shape or form. So uh, that's the story from the early look here of the board. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. 
On the other side, NBA stuff with our boy Ted Ballantyne, Tuesdays with Ted, all kinds of uh, futures talk, and he's even got a couple of spicier plays for tonight, so that's really exciting. Ted Ballantyne, right after this break. All right, more bets to discuss here in a second, but a quick break to talk about our friends over at Hundo P Productions. If you're like me and you rely at all on social media to get the word out about your product or service, you should check out www.hundopproductions.com. They hooked me up with some fun tease videos from my podcast with Chad Millman over the summer. You can check those out on my Twitter page, at Authentic. If you are looking for help growing your brand in a fun, engaging way, check them out on Instagram at Hundo P Prod. Don't just post, inspire. All right, here he is. It's the last Tuesdays with Ted of 2020. Really, the highlight of the year, if you think about it, because I know it's been a you know sort of a tough um, competition. But yeah, Tuesdays with Ted, everybody's highlight in 2020. Here he is, Ted Ballantyne. What's happening, buddy? Is this your way of telling me that I've been replaced next week? Is that what's going on? No, no, it's a light week. Your boy needs a couple of days off here and there. And so uh, we've got some other things planned for next week. We're going to do some NFL stuff, of course. Uh, but yeah, we don't, we're, we're going we're gonna to rein it back here a little bit. I mean, listen, you're, you're welcome to turn uh, you in there next week if you want to, but I promise you <laughs> If you think I'm not prepared going into Tuesdays with Ted on a regular basis, you can't imagine how unprepared I'm going to be next week. If, hey, listen, if you really want to be on yourself, I'm just imagining you somewhere in a beautiful hotel in a hot tub with a glass of champagne, watching some Premier League holiday season soccer. <laughs> Are there hot tubs? Are there hotels? I don't even I don't even know these things. You know what? Uh, I really need to regroup. No, yeah, it's been a couple weeks since I checked, and a lot is changing. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking of not great, um, though, you know, listen, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And this is the exact reason why we should be betting, right? Like this is, you know, if there's nothing else that I can sort of promote when it comes to betting, it's the recreational element to it. And of course, I'm talking about Callum Smith and Canelo Alvarez this past weekend. I was very excited for that. We had our little, you know, plus 450 ticket on uh, on this giant and of course i'd never seen this guy before at all and of course if you hadn't uh caught tuesdays with ted last week ted talked about uh at length and in great detail and i thought quite adroitly um about callum smith a guy that i'd never heard of never seen before and of course canelo alvarez who of course i'm more than familiar with watching him pound people over the years and you know, listen, it was worth a shot at Callum Smith. He's literally twice the size, twice the height. I was like, okay, this guy's gargantuan. We might have a chance here. And then literally Canelo comes out and he's bigger, but he's also somehow more lean than I sort of, you know, remembered. And I'm like, oh, no, he's going to be stronger and he's going to be quicker than he normally is. Uh, was that your takeaway from once they actually started punching each other or um... – Almost right away, yeah, you saw that, like, when you talk about, when you heard the analysts talking about it, when we talked about it, any key to Callum Smith's success was going to be in whatever he could do with his jab, being the dude that was seven and a half feet tall. And right away, you saw that, A, he wasn't overly interested in throwing it that much, and yeah. B, Canelo was just eating it every single time like a buffet, like it wasn't even there. So I was like, oh, this yeah. dude, this dude just is not going to have what it takes to get through this thing. So we need a real corruption situation if we even make it to the end, which was touch and go there for a while. But it was <laughs> a valiant effort by the big Brit. Yeah, I give him credit. Listen, and, and, and you know, I threw together just a, you know, a multi-sport parlay at one point in the day because there was so much going on. And one of those legs was get to the end, you know, <clears throat> get there. Uh, survive the 12 rounds, and that's truly what he ended up doing. Um, Pure survival, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the big thing going on to shift gears here is it's uh, Tuesday, December 22nd, and of course that means the NBA is starting back up again. Kind of sneaky, kind of under the radar, not a ton of preseason exhibition games because there's nobody to exhibit to. So we want to sort of welcome that back. you know, I, listen, I don't do a ton of NBA betting until the playoffs roll around. Of course, everybody who's been with the pod for a while knows, uh, you know, we got things cooking there once we went to the bubble. 
uh, in the summer. But, you know, so I don't know on a daily basis necessarily how much we're going to talk about the NBA, but we'll have you on on a weekly basis to maybe give us kind of an update, maybe find some trends or some some teams that we need to kind of be paying attention to. So let's kind of start there. Like, you know, I talked to Sheldon Alexander yesterday about the NBA, but and we have this sort of thing where, you know, back, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago when we had to sort of talk about sports betting in the media in code, um, I, I, like I, I feel like if we were still doing that, the word moral victory would be how we described a team who is an underdog, but they cover, you know, they cover the spread, right? They get the moral victory for us, right? Like that would be how you would talk about it on your sports centers or your sports net central. So, you know, and of course, Bill Simmons talks about the NBA league pass team, right? Like what's the team that you want to watch on a daily basis? Um, that isn't necessarily any good, but might be due for a lot of moral victories. Do you have any team there and sort of maybe the bottom level, bottom half of the league that you're eyeing as a team that might be exciting and thus might be able to produce some moral victories as underdogs? I think I absolutely do. And it's going to be a, probably as, as I look through my notes, I, it's going to be a running trend through this whole conversation um but it's a it's a year where i think the memphis grizzlies are going to cement themselves as the league pass team uh i i think they just honestly you you can just like break it all down to just john morant and he is about as exciting a player as you can have to watch the closest thing to to, to, you know aesthetically Allen iverson that we've had in 15 20 years and i think that's going to be the team that uh, just like last year, they'll make a push for the playoffs, whether they make it or not, flip a coin, maybe less than the coin. Uh, but they're going to be a ton of fun. And, and that's my suggestion of your league pass team. If you want another, uh, the Washington Wizards will be sneaky fun to watch. And I think the Phoenix Suns are possibly going to be legitimately good and also a good watch when you have the opportunity to throw them on. The Pelicans are a team that deserve to be in this conversation, but the Pelicans are going to be shoved down your throat on national t- TV so much. They don't need the league past standing. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Yeah. It's always dangerous when this sort of situation happens. As I look at my notes and I see uh, whatever answer you were going to give or almost whatever answer you were going to give, I was going to say, and I quote, what about the Grizzlies? And so you didn't have to, uh, didn't have to get to that point. Scratch it out. Scratch the it the whole line. Yeah. I got him right there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Off, right <laughs> off the bat there. So on the same page, nothing more dangerous than that. So on the flip side, any team in the top half that you think has a potentially disappointing season. So, I mean, you know, and I'll just sort of give a couple here to sort of frame it a little bit here, but like the Raptors, right. Sort of obviously considered a top half team, you know, lost a bunch of, uh, you know, their veteran depth, if you will, this season. But, you know, I think people still give them the benefit of the doubt because of the organization, because of that culture, if you will. And so is, is it possible that's just going to carry the day for them? Or is it possible that they're going to fall right off? And I think the more popular pick for a lot of people are the Nets because Kyrie Irving and he always sort of subtracts more than he adds and all of that kind of thing. So, I mean, maybe I took two of your answers in the same way that you kind of took um, my question on the previous. Uh, you know, is there anything other than that? or And what do you think of those two teams kind of as a whole? Um, well, the, as, as for the Raptors, I'm going to put the Heat kind of in the same category as the Raptors. I think those are two mm. teams that do have a chance um, to have a slightly disappointing season based on reputation and with the Heat based on how well they did last year. But I think they'll skate a little if they do, because so much of the expectations those teams have is based on like intangible bullshit like culture, which isn't mm-hmm. really a thing. So so it's very easy for them to not have the season you're expecting and then to quickly point the finger at, oh, well, they didn't have the talent. Um, so they, they did as well as they could anyway. The, the Nets are, are going to be so much fun to watch. It just like from a kind of observational whole season, you know, in between games included standpoint. uh, I think they're going to, we'll get into it later when we talk about tonight's games. I think they'll probably get out of the gate slow. And that's not even because their team's full of crazy people. It's just because these new, um, the new hot teams with the, with the, with the big, huge superstar combos never seem to start particularly well. Uh, But the Nets could be disappointing. I think at the end of the season, they have so much talent that they're going to get close to that 
uh, 47-48-50 win mark in this this shortened season, so I think they'll end up being okay. I think you look at teams with super high expectations that could fall yep. short. Um, I'm looking at the Dallas Mavericks, who could oh, still be okay. good. They've kind of gotten to the point where if they come in – and you know what? Just quick aside, when you start looking at futures in the NBA – start looking at win totally, start looking at who's going to win divisions. For the past, like, 15, 20 years, you just always come to the same conclusion. It's like, oh, my God, there's a lot of good teams in the West. And the Mavs (laughs) are just kind of one of those good teams that are expected to take this big leap um, with all these uh, MVP expectations for Luka. And I think they could be a team that just kind of finishes between fifth and seventh again, and they're so-so, and they're just kind of right back in the mix with the – you know, Utah Jazz and stuff like that, which is still really good, but I just don't see them stepping up to the next echelon like people are anticipating. Well, that's perfect because that brings us to futures and to the MVP race. And, you know, like right now, Luka Doncic is the favorite right now at plus, let me see here, plus 375 over at Bet365 right now. He's ahead of Giannis at this point. And I talked yesterday with Sheldon about it, and I said to him, like, you know, first of all, that's unbettable, right? Like, you cannot bet the yeah, no, like, can't touch it. In any of these markets, right? You can't bet the favorite under any circumstances. Like, even last year with Zion being, like, the heavy favorite for Rookie of the Year, it's like just too much can go wrong for something like this, right? It's like a horse race. Like you just, you want to stay away from the favorite unless like all the other horses are just eating grass on the side. And this one stud horse is for some reason racing against these nags. And so, you know, again, I'm like, okay, well, what's the, what's the reason, uh, you know, who else is going to be in the mix here, right? And of course, Giannis is, is clearly going to be in the mix. But when you talk about the Dallas Mavericks, it's like, yeah, like they might just still not be a top four team in the West. So I'll give you a couple that I kind of like. And if you have any that you like, feel free to fire them back. But I talked yesterday about Damian Lillard at 20 to one, a guy who has that sort of narrative thing going for him. Because, of course, we talked last, you know, last year, this earlier this year, if you will, last season about like Doncic, like taking over the bubble. And like he was the big star of that. And that's really only because his team lasted a little bit longer and obviously, you know, had, had some playoff success. Whereas like for the first half of that entire experience, right. It was Dame Lillard going for 50 points every night and pulling up from half court all the time. And now that he has that team that we thought was able to compete in the playoffs because they were finally healthy. Now that he has that team going for them, why aren't the Blazers a team that could be in the top two or three in the West? And then of course, get that Dame Lillard shine for a possible MVP run. Now, I'm not saying, like, this is some sort of guarantee by any means, nor do we ever really say that. But, like, a 20-to-1, like, isn't he in the same kind of position here as Doncic, as this guy who gets a ton of regard here for leading a team that isn't the Lakers and the Clippers and isn't the Bucks um, and, in, you know, the Heat or whoever the second-best team in, is in the East sort of on any given year? Like, aren't they kind of the same guy from that narrative standpoint and one of them's 20 to one and the other one's plus 375. Oh, well, firstly, you, you took my favorite pick, at least from a no. value standpoint, relatively. Uh, Damian Lillard, uh, I'm in on him at, I think, plus 1600. About what you're saying, I, uh, I think that that's a tremendous number. I will say quickly about the NBA, and everyone knows this, uh, but just to get it out there b- before we make these picks, there's kind of like a pro wrestling kayfabe element to these awards sometimes in the NBA. And I think that has a lot to do with why Luka Doncic is your favorite. Um, it, it's like at the beginning of a season, you can tell the media has a story they kind of want to tell. Um, sure. And Luka is obviously going, is, is uh, poised to be a star player in that story they want to tell this year. Cause other than that, there's no real reason for him to be this runaway favorite for the MVP. Um, and often, the person they want to win the MVP will be the person that wins the MVP, uh, even though it could be a coin flip with like four other guys. Like this is how LeBron hasn't won it in seven or eight years, right? Just because he wasn't right. ever really in the conversation for who's going to win the MVP. So you have to overcome that to begin with, because it's not all about how good you play or how important you are, definitely how valuable you are. Damian Lillard, like you say, exact same dude, pretty much with Portland and as with Dallas, not the same player, not the same kind of player, but he's exactly. a dude that can yeah. go up there and put up James Harden-like numbers, 
in like if he has a great perfect like hits the ceiling season James Harden like numbers in kind of a more natural kind of offense um his team is good they're finally healthy this year I'll, I'll just say well we're on Damian Lillard like I I got Portland a plus 350 to win the Northwest I think that's pretty good because I think it's a just an absolute horse race between other people in that division yeah so why I not because I laugh because I have Blazers written down as the only division future that I would look at, 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 uh, at exactly yeah plus 350 to win the Northwest like it's like you're reading the notes which again could not be more dangerous um, but go, but go, go ahead. Yeah, but no, but Damian Lillard for the value you have right there. I think when you start going down the lists of the guys that are there, the only one that makes sense to put a little splash on is Damian Lillard. Um, plus, you get a really fun dude to watch for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about John ja Morant too soon for him. Eighty to one, too soon for him. For the I MVP. will have I will have you know that I put a little touch on Jaw at eighty to one. Um, now that's just mainly to increase my viewing experience that I think will already be great watching him. Um, I don't think there's a chance his team is good enough and he's not really the type of dude that's going to put up those James Harden, Damian Lillard numbers regardless. Like he's, he's probably, even if he's the most electric, most exciting, uh, you know, in the conversation for most valuable dude in the league, I think he's still going to be around. 28 points a game max, which is crazy. And it's very good, but uh, I just don't think he's the guy. Uh, that's going to end up being the best player in the league with a team that's good enough, but at 80 to one. Yeah. By all means of those kind of bottom of the barrel dudes that they make available. He is by far the best. Right. Speaking of those, um, Gordon Hayward is 125 to one. Um, I'm insulted that he's even on this list. Uh, (laughs) is there something, is there something wrong with me or should I just let that go? Well, what we have to do first is Google which team is Gordon Hayward on now to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, no, that's insane. That's absolutely crazy. But maybe they're just kind of have someone kind of from each market on the list. I don't know what the heck's going on there. But uh, yes, yes, no, he may be what a, uh, a sixth man for a team that comes in somehow 38th place. Yeah. So ridiculous. Yeah, it's weird that I take that strangely personally. Yeah, you should be. Um, it's a period. <laughs> which I am. Um, okay, so you go from MVP to rookie of the year. Uh, spoiler from yesterday's show. Sheldon threw out Tyrese Halliburton, 12 to 1, in case anybody missed that out there. Um, do you have anything on him? You know, or I should say, if you have anything on him, feel free to mention it. But if you have anybody else in the rookie of the year conversation, feel free to throw them out there. Well, Tyrese Halliburton is on my list. He's one of my three guys that I think I'll actually make a play on. Um, And essentially, listen, just off the top, I think this is going to be two horse race between Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball for not that they're necessarily going to be the best. I just think they're both on teams where they're going to to be a focus point of the offense. They're going to have the ball a lot. They both also, when it comes to rookie of the year, um, the voters really like a dude that kind of captures the imagination uh, in the way they play and what the possibilities are for the future. And Anthony Edwards has that electric athleticism and LaMelo Ball just has this unique playmaking. We all know these things. And that's why I think it's really going to end up being one of those two barring injury. But the three guys that I have picked next on the list, again, they fall under the same thing. I think these days uh, you're, you're looking for a, a guard who's going to handle the ball a lot on a fairly crappy team. And uh, that's why I end up with a, a uh, what do I got? I got Tyrese Halliburton. I got Killian Hayes. And actually going off the board, if he can find his way into the lineup a lot at uh, a 25 to one, I kind of like Kyra Lewis over on the New Orleans Pelicans, but he may not be able to crack the lineup enough to, to make it worthwhile. I just think he'll be an awesome fit with that running gun team because he is a electric little dynamic point guard. Interesting. That is really interesting. It's funny because half of these guys, like I have to look up what team they're even on at this point oh, because we dude. don't have, you know, the way the draft was like what, like a month ago. And anytime you watch the NBA draft, you can just sit there for three hours, watch it and still not know who, ha- you know, half the guys, you know, not who they are, but who, what team they ended up on. Right. Because of all the like proposed trades and then this trade and then this is all happening. And so like, that's part of the element this year because it's like it was like three weeks ago where these well, guys were handed uh, right? hats. It goes against my my thinking it's going to be a two-horse race between Edwards and Ball, right? But like imagine, imagine we started doing the NBA draft like before the conference tournaments even really kind of got going. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so yeah. much on the draft board 
that changes in tournament season uh, and we never got there. So, hey, maybe like that, those kind of perceptions change during the NBA season. Who the heck knows? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of names I'll throw out. I mean, I'm interested by the New York Knicks guys, right? Because obviously being in New York, they're going to be a focal point, uh, even if the team's not very good. And of course, you have OB Toppin, which everybody sort of um, gravitates to at plus 650. But you're starting to hear, you know, some Emmanuel quickly uh, talk at 40 to 1. Like, there's no guarantee that, like, Toppin's even better than Quickly is. Because Quickly was a guy at Kentucky that I liked a ton. Uh, and so at 40 to 1, kind of a, a low-key underdog pick there. Um, and then, of course, on the other side, literally, of the coast, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, a guy that people got really excited about because he had a 30-point game in preseason where it was just sort of one of those games where not a ton of guys are necessarily playing, et cetera, et cetera. So his... I think he was undrafted out of Iowa State. Uh, 33 to 1, probably the value already gone on him. But at 33 to 1, like that's kind of, a, you know, just that number in general is attractive. Um, but, you know, the, the word is sort of out here. So I like some of your plays there because especially with like a Killian Hayes, where it's like the word definitely isn't out yet on him. And it could very well get there because that team, right, Pelicans are going to be on TV a ton this season. I think when I talk about dudes kind of capturing the imagination, I think Obi Toppin's going to be that dude in New York right away. Um, but I think Quigley's going to be the better player. Um, and, it's, and it's going to be fairly noticeable fairly quickly just because of his position. And he went to a school that breeds NBA players. Um, yep. Obi Toppin, hey, listen, pencil in right now. I don't think there's going to be a dunk competition this year, but our imaginary dunk competition, uh, Obi Toppin wins, and it's the greatest thing to happen in New York basketball in a couple of decades. Uh, but I think he's – when you watch him out there playing, like you'll see his highlight reels when you watch the draft, and it's all these amazing, uh, unspeakable dunks. But his physicality and coordination still is kind of awkward. So, yeah, no, Quigley mm. would be the of those two, I think. Well, we've been having imaginary dunk competitions for about two decades, right? Like we've been just handing imaginary dunk competition awards to LeBron James, <laughs> little, even though he would never show up. Let him vote no matter what. Exactly. Yeah. Let's just let's <laughs> line up a row of Dr. J and Vince Carter and, you know, whoever the heck else we want to throw in there is some uh, just celebrity. Uh, the, the late Chadwick Boseman, I believe, was uh, one of the celebrity voters last year. So, hey, pick pick five people. Just give someone the award and let's get on with it. <laughs> absolutely uh we talked about the blazers uh i think you know obviously we both agree on that are there any other divisional futures that are interesting to you because i mean the, it gets a little frisky in what the atlantic right where you know there's no sort of odds on favorite whereas in the other two right the lakers uh, i think at, you know minus 140 which actually even kind of still seems like a pretty good price if we're being completely honest um and then the bucks have, are just you know tremendously uh, favored in that one. So, you know, there's not much to pick from, but is there anything else that you would pick from in those divisions? Yeah, or is it just the Blazers? Frisky, like the Frisky Atlantic, like I don't, I don't mind the Sixers at plus 375. Um, obviously, precedent shows that they kind of got to get their shit together. Mm. Clearly, but at plus 375, um, they're, they're just as good as anyone else in that division, even if they're playing at like 80%. So that's a why not. I also like in the Southeast, um, I don't mind the Pels at plus 600. It's a weird division this year. Houston is like, you know, when I, when I go through looking at what's available, Houston's off the board in some things, understandably. So the, the Pels at plus 600, I think they're a team that can have a pretty good year. That's not bad. Um, all right. Well, we have, we have basketball games tonight, you know? No football, no Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, Tuesday in the morning. Football. So might as well watch a little NBA. A couple of decent branding matchups at the very least. I just want to quickly throw out, because I went through the time to research these things and, and, sure. and waste my money. Um, I, like, I like Stan Van Gundy, 14-1 uh, to 1 oh. for a coach here. And you know what? For fun, as we talked about the Grizz a little tiny bit, just in case they catch the fire we think is possible, I don't mind Taylor Jenkins at 50-1 to 1 for your coach of the year. How about that? Yes, coach of the year markets. Ted, I couldn't be more impressed. Uh, like, is there anything in like the defensive player of the year, six man of the year, most improved player, or are we just like 
scraping, you know, the bottom of the barrel with regards to sports betting. No, I got getting no, into those. at the absolute bottom of the barrel. Okay, if we want to get one step lower, I don't mind Ben Simmons at plus 1,400 for Defensive Player of the Year. But honestly, somehow the Defensive Player of the Year uh, uh, odds, the lineup there, is somehow more impressive than the MVP candidates. So I'm probably not going to touch anything in there. Uh, and for the most improved player of the year, how about that? We're at the very bottom. I like, again... From the Memphis Grizzlies, I like Jaron Jackson as your potential most improved oh. 20 to 1. Wow. Okay. Giving out the good stuff here. Jaron Jackson. Uh, you, you say 50 to 1? 20. 20 to 1 Jaron Jackson. 20 to 1. I'm seeing 40 to 1 over at Bet365 for so the This is why I'm out there. Like in the wrong places. <laughs> yeah or or yeah or you're just onto it and uh, and the money has uh, has moved that Move number down just with my mind everybody all about double uh, triple j um yeah so tonight's games um simply put what do you got anything is there anything to bet on tonight i personally don't just like both dogs to cover teddy he likes both dogs on the money line Wow. Okay. Because my second question was going to be, you know, and listen, I can sort of paint the picture, I suppose, for that first game, right? Like the, a, a relatively, you know, potentially disjointed effort from the Nets, you know, Steph Curry back, blah, 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 for the, for the Warriors and probably just in general, some good value on a money line that we don't know a ton about either of these teams, right? I think that would be sort of fair. But my main question was going to be, why wouldn't I bet the Lakers here at such a short number? Why is this number so short? And why do you like the Clippers? Because I think the Clippers are going to be very good. Uh, I think Doc Rivers has really skated for a long time and really done an average job with fantastic players. Um, I, I think they're still as loaded with talent, of course, as they were last year, if not more so, depending on how much you like, you know, Serge Ibaka and how much you didn't like Montrezl Harrell. But I just think we're all, like, we sit here and we go through these moments in the NBA, right, where we just shit on guys. And this offseason's guy that we shat on was Paul George. Now, reasonably, because he had a, you know, repug playoffs, um, and playoff P didn't live up to his self-given nickname, but he's also a dude that two years ago, it was like Paul Pierce's redemption or sorry, Paul George's redemption, where he came in like third in MVP voting. He was a defensive player of the year candidate. He was absolutely outstanding. Um, and he's good. He's like really good, but he, he didn't come close to living up to expectations in the playoffs. I think now he got a new coach who, you know, has, has paid attention to what's going on in the world over the past 10 years. And uh, I think that Clippers team is going to be really good. And I think it's it's just going to be a LeBron Lakers team that's just very blasé with the regular season in the beginning of the regular season. And what one team is out there kind of to show something for whatever the first game of the season is worth. One team is out there kind of trying to prove to people that we're not the shit sandwich that we were at the end. And the other mm -hmm. team is, you know, gleaming and bathing in beautiful championship sunlight, win or lose. Yeah, and Sheldon yesterday was saying from a big picture standpoint, right, like that he thinks the Clippers will be better than people think. And it's sort of weird to say that for, as the, you know, sort of second best team in, in, in that conference. But it's like, yeah, uh, if there was ever sort of a public versus, you know, I don't want to say sharp necessarily, because who knows who actually wins this game tonight. But like, you know, we see this stuff in the NFL on a weekly basis, whereas like maybe now we get this opportunity to take advantage of that in the NBA, which doesn't necessarily happen all that much, right? Just the idea that, like, me, just a complete, you know, Johnny-come-lately here to the NBA's start, it's like, yeah, why wouldn't I bet at such a short number? The Lakers. And it's like, yeah, I imagine a ton of people are thinking that exact same way, considering the Lakers won the championship and the Clippers bombed out last year. But it's the same thing as, like, betting on the Rockets, uh, you know, or James Harden just, uh, you know, in general. It's like, I'm not asking him to win a championship tonight, right? Like, if I was asking him to win a championship, I would be disappointed. I'm just asking him to win a regular season game, something that they were quite good at last year, even against the Lakers at times. So, um, yeah. I'm down with that, man. A couple of underdogs to start the season. Well, yeah, and when show. you talk big picture, you talk Clippers, like you go through the, the, the futures for the potential NBA champion, and uh, Clippers at plus 600 is probably about as good value as you're going to get. You know what I mean? Like Lakers, I think I saw plus 250. Um, 
I think the Nets might have even been ahead. Goodness, I should know the numbers specifically if I'm going to bring it up. But I think the Nets could have even been ahead of the Clippers, which is ridiculous. And I think you had the Clippers and the Bucks both uh, yeah. plus hundred. And I'll I'll jump on board with the with the Clips over the Bucks in that spot. Yeah, I've been citing Bet365, so I might as well keep going with that. Yeah, it's Brooklyn plus 550, Milwaukee plus 550, and Clippers plus 600. So, yeah, technically on, in this market, the Clippers are the fourth choice. And like you said, I don't know why that, that would necessarily be other than, again, we all nobody likes Paul George, right? Like he is taking the mantle right now from James Harden of just disappointing with expectations. You know what I'm saying? So um, unless you have anything else um, – I think that's it. 2020. Tuesdays with Ted. That's a wrap. Thanks, buddy. Let's tip off tonight, baby. <laughs> Happy holidays to you and your family, my man. Appreciate you uh, <laughs> joining me over the course of the uh, first season of The Window. Uh, it's been a real treat. We will uh, talk to you in 2021. I look forward to it. Just a note about the podcast schedule for the holidays. Podcast tomorrow with president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, Paul Burns. Big pending legislation here in Canada in 2021. So we'll talk all about that, how it started, how it's going, as the kids say. No show on Thursday. It's Christmas Eve. But if you want to get my take on the games in the NFL for week 16, I'll be doing my usual appearance on the On Blast podcast network with Sheldon Alexander. So look for that over there. Off again on Christmas Friday. Sunday's podcast will be a little bit longer as I'll do an abbreviated handicap for each game. So there's games on Friday and there's games on Saturday. I'll have plays for those on Twitter at Emrus Authentic. So follow along for that. Here's hoping everybody has a happy holidays. Do me a favor and toss a five-star rating and type out a little review. Call it a gift for me. Takes 30 seconds, means the world. Until next time, I'll see you at the window. 